You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Enemy of My Enemy. I am Odie Jones. I'm Lou. And I'm Sam. And uh, we're glad to have you to the show. Today we are going to talk a little bit about the employment shortage going on around America. Uh, And kind of the rest of the world uh, a little bit. Uh, This is not necessarily a unique problem to America. uh, When you kind of have a big shutdown is the one that we had recently. Um, employment doesn't actually always look the same when you come back out of it. I think the idea was that everybody thought, oh, you hit the pause button. And then after hitting pause, you just unpause and everything starts up right again from where you were. And we're kind of finding out right now that that's not necessarily the case. And that's not the way things work. That when you pause people, people don't stay where they are. Um, specifically what is most notable, I guess, and what's going around the news is what's happening in the restaurant industry and other service industries where the servers and those who are working, um, those kind of wages have moved on to different kinds of employment. And it's been a gradual process at first It kind of started off as they didn't want to go back to work because they're receiving unemployment, but now the unemployment benefits have stopped and they're still not returning Um, I know here in Utah, we were the uh, servers were the number one job most impacted by unemployment, which stands to reason, and number one employees receiving wages from getting shut down. And as of right now, they are now number five as far as not returning back to their original places of employment. Um, So there are actually other jobs that are more impacted than service it's just that's the one people notice because when you swing by your taco bell at seven o'clock and they are closed early it sends a shock a little more of a shock than oh there's a few less construction workers than there were before or something like that so that's kind of the general gist of things um it's it might not seem like a political issue although this definitely impacts the economy and it has to do with the way we orchestrated the lockdowns and there's a lot to touch on here so um, Sam, why don't we start with you? What do you what What are your thoughts as far as the unemployment shortage or the I'm uh, sorry, the employment shortage goes? Uh, I I mean I think you covered it pretty well. It's just you're you know one thing is you're you're paying people to to not work at the same time. You're trying to raise the minimum wage to to price uh, people lower in the market out, and then you know just all these shutdowns. Like we shut down these businesses and these you know businesses just in my town. Like we shut them down. And now they can't just open back up again. Like they've lost everything. And uh, I think the impact uh, on the economy is going to be just tremendous. And so, yeah, there's just nowhere for people to go back to work. And then there's a lot of incentives to not go back to work or somewhat 
Um, and yeah, I'm really worried about uh, what it's doing to the world economy too. Cause I mean, a lot of these like uh, poorer countries, you know, they depend on America, you know, like they, they're living hand to mouth and to just take away, you know, say they don't have, you know, they're, they're having hard times. Well, then they're going to have to eat like their, their donkey or whatever that's pulling the, the plow. And then, uh, after, you know, after they eat that, they have nothing to plow with anymore. So, I mean, it's, it's just taken a really big toll on just, just everyone. And it's, uh, you know, I like, I think it's Hayek that says that, you know, the economy is us. And so it's like the, the effect we, uh, they did on the, what they did to our freedoms really affected, uh, just us, our ability to just live and, uh, live prosperously, I guess. Okay. Thank you for your thoughts there, Lou. We'll turn it over to you. What do you think about the employment shortage? Um, I, there's, there's definitely a really interesting thing I think that's happening. And of course, with the stimulus and unemployment, sure, there is a small amount. I'm sorry, my dogs are going crazy. Um, you know, there is some impact from having that income from unemployment and stimulus and things like that. Um, however, there was a study done uh, fairly recently that came out and it showed, and I don't have it in front of me to have all of the data, right? The specific numbers. But the number of people who basically said, like, I'm not going back to work or didn't go back to work because of unemployment um, was negligible. And um, I think it was like, yeah, one in 25 or fifth or one in 70. Sorry. Sorry. My husband is like a numbers guru and he's over here like <laughs> telling me never. So, yeah, it was like uh, one in 70. Uh, so you hear the argument a lot. Oh, nobody wants to go back to work because they're getting unemployment. Well, that's not entirely it. I think the unemployment or the opportunity to take a step back and pivot. And then when things started to reopen, especially what we're seeing around here, um, jobs that are not getting people applying are Taco Bell, 7-Eleven, you know, all those seven fifty. $8 an hour jobs, $9 an hour jobs, $10 an hour jobs. They're not getting the applicants, but the jobs around here that are, are those that start at 17. And I think people are starting to say, you know what? We, as hard as this has been on everybody, we have an opportunity now to say, you know what? I'm not going to take this minimum wage job, because we all know, and the numbers prove it, minimum wage has not kept up with inflation. And I don't promote, support, condone the idea of a federally mandated minimum wage. Um, I fully support people putting pressure on employers to say, pay us what we're worth, pay us a wage that we can live on because I'm not going to come work 40 hours a week for you if I can't pay my rent with it. It's that's unreasonable. Mm. Um, so I, there's, there's a cultural shift happening, I think. And, and it, in unfortunate circumstances, I really, you know, the pandemic and, and everything being shut down. 
it's kind of forced our hands a little bit. And now it's time, I think, for those employers to reevaluate and for it's we're forcing their hands now. The jobs around here that are starting at $17, $18 an hour, they're having no problem hiring people. So, you know, and I know Hody's mentioned this before, specific to the restaurant industry, uh, particularly wait staff, hostesses, things like that. They're hustlers. They went out and did better for themselves. Including me, and I wasn't wait staff. I worked in corporate finance, and now I'm a tattoo artist, which seems like a really weird pivot. But let me tell you, I'm getting paid what I'm worth now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, that is something that I I, I I totally agree. I'm glad you have uh, experience with this as well, because it's one that I could talk on for a while just because I have personal experience with it. Unlike a lot of issues where we talk about like deportation, which I don't have or, you know, uh, find a uh, debt forgiveness. I, I don't have. So like all these things that it's like I, I kind of have to come at from an intellectual angle. This is one I actually have some personal experience with. Uh, you may have heard me. I've been on the Chris Bangle show. I've been on some gingerarchy. I've done, um, I've kind of done a little bit of the podcast circuit and people have been talking with me about it. And it's one that I have a lot of feelings on. So uh, I'm glad you all kept it short. I'll, I'll gladly take all your time. Um, <laughs> I, I, I really, here's the thing is my job got shut down at the time I was working at the Golden Corral. I really do enjoy, I enjoy tipped work. Here's the thing. I, I, I think it's funny because a lot of people want, they're like, oh, why is it servings tipped and nothing else is? I think everything should be tipped. I think if, I think if the world were paid by performance, we would have better performance. I think that I, I just think flat out, I think that's the truth. And yes, there are some people who don't pay you what you're worth. But I found, at least in my personal experience, being nice and smiley, I, I was it was far more outnumbered by the people who paid me too much, right? Who paid me way more than what I was worth. And while it's common for a server to be like, oh, that table didn't, that two top didn't leave me anything for their, you know, $12 meal, you know, you'll find that you'll have an eight top that leaves you like, $200 and you're just like, Oh my gosh, like I did not do $200 worth of work. Well, what, what you'll find is that the like tipping puts more responsibility on you. So then you have, you're able to make more and that's like uh, every job, like my job's now completely commission. So it's like, yeah, I can make a lot more money, but it's, you, you know, you're taking on that risk that my employer would have normally taken on. So. Yeah. I'm in a similar position. I, for the first time in my life and working a job that is pretty standard to be tipped in and it makes a difference. Yeah. And, and I'm glad, I'm glad you both agree. So this is <laughs> something that it's like, I want, who do you want to be your boss? And I think that this is a shift that kind of needs to happen throughout every industry is do I want my boss to be my boss or do I want the customer to be my boss? Like, do I want my boss to be, uh, somebody who works in corporate, who has spent their life, you know, managing accounts and has suddenly finds themselves with enough money to be on top of a regional chain who kind of schmooze their way through. I'm not saying all these people are unqualified. Some are incredibly qualified. But ultimately, the most important thing as a server is that those who I serve love me a lot, right? That's like my distinct kind of kind of work. It's like, 
a chef saying like, we want people to enjoy your food the most. And so I'll pay you. I don't want to pay you for your hour. I want to pay you for good food, right? Like I, I and, and I know that this would be, this is talked about toppling a lot here, but I, I preface this whole thing by saying that because I think a lot of the tip workers are kind of the ones not coming back. And I want to specify that this is not really about the tips so much as it is just, getting a get getting a fair shake and getting what they getting what they they deserve for the kind of work that it is do you right do you yeah, think that ahead. part of it's just a big shift from like sort of like the mom and pop the smaller stuff to like the corporate stuff like i mean i know walmart's paying really good money these days and uh some of these bigger corporations they're just able to pay more it seems like some are um sure but i, I don't mean, know if I that's think... overall or not but I think a lot of the famous billboards that come up, though, when you when you see them, because there's all the passive aggressive billboards. I'm glad you brought this up, too, because this is something I wanted to bring up where they're like, people are too lazy to work for us these days. Uh, you kind of advertise what kind of employer you are when you do that. <laughs> and you make other people look at that and they're like, yeah, I know what kind of boss posts that to the public. And I do not want to work for them. Right. Like I know exactly that kind of person. And so when that's posted on a Wendy's or McDonald's or Burger King or something, everybody looks at that sign. They're like, no, there's a reason that their employees didn't come back. And my Chipotle down the street, their employees did come back. Right. Because these guys are all making the same yep. amount of money. And ultimately that's an environment that people want to be in. And that is not. And so the, uh, that's something that, that does need to be talked about that isn't kind of in this is I don't think it's even as much of a pay issue as it is a cultural issue as well. Yes. A lot of these people are going to talk about making the most money and, and, and Lou's absolutely right. When we talk about hustling, like hustlers, nobody's a bigger hustler than your server because they're making less than okay. minimum wage officially. They're making like $2. I hear it's $2 and 13 cents an hour and taxes take all of it, literally a hundred percent of it. You never see it. We get the server checks and when we give them out, uh, this is, I manage as well. So when we get the server checks, you get them every week and you hand them out and half of them are zero dollars and zero cents. Um, and, and and yes, there are some who chose not to withhold, but they're actually going to have to pay that back at the end of the year. So essentially your servers don't make any money that is not money that you give them, right? Like, so this is, this is something that I need to stress is like, that's, that's kind of true for most of these places that are, that are struggling is they, they experience a money issue as far as the base rate, but that's okay. Cause that's not what they're in it for. They're in it for, like I said, the, the customer being their boss, the rest of that is just uncle Sam money. Now, some of those folks did come back and then this is where the culture issue comes into play. When you can create an environment of, of, constantly rewarding positive energy. One of my biggest pet peeves is these bosses that are like, oh, you want me to thank you for doing your job? Yeah. Yes. I mean, <laughs> you hand me mashed potatoes and I say, thank you. Did I expect you to hand me the mashed potatoes when I asked for them? Yes. I don't expect you to play keep away with them, but creating a positive environment around getting the things that you want and that you asked for but there's nothing wrong with positive reinforcement. In fact, psychologists will constantly tell you that you should, reinforce behaviors that you like, even if they're expected, right? Like we expect our dog to sit down when we say sit. Um, we expect really, Lou's dogs to shut up when we say shut up. No, I'm kidding. My, my no, dog is the same way. No, you can never expect that from them. That's asking <laughs> way too much from my dogs. Um, <laughs> You're referring to people as dogs. <laughs> no, no, no. Pavlovian, Truly, my right? animal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I... 
I, I wanted to kind of interject here because I, I totally agree. And I've had those bosses before, right? The, I'm not going to thank you for doing your job. And I'm kind of like, who freaking raised you? Like, if I didn't say, yes, please, thank you, yes, ma'am, no, sir, you know, I got my butt whooped. Okay, not literally. Like, my parents never hit me. Like, that was it. Like, <laughs> but like, it was, I got the look, which I swear to God was worse than any spanking I ever got. Oh my gosh. You know, the, you know. Uh, oh, not yeah. Even if, I'm mad or you're in trouble. The I'm, I'm disappointed. disappointed. Oh, my God. In Kiss the soul. Just right? kill me instead, can you? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, please and thank you are a habit that I have built just the same as hitting my blinker in my car when I'm coming. Like, I don't even yeah. think about it. It yeah. just, it's muscle memory, right? But at the same time, like, to be clear, like, it, I mean it, like, it's not just the verbal muscle memory of saying it. I've trained myself to be appreciative. Well, okay, my parents trained me to be appreciative, even of things that are expected. Because if I did my chores, they would say thank you. And I'm a big words of affirmation girl, right? So, and talking about culture in a work environment. And I'm so sorry. I totally derailed your conversation, but I wanted to touch on this. This is supposed to be a monologue, guys. No, I'm kidding. Go I'm sorry. <laughs> um, no, but I wanted to touch on this before we, I, I knew you were moving kind of on to the next point. Um, sure. And then I would have forgotten what I was saying. Yeah, so. you're good. <laughs> you're fine. <laughs> um, specifically on that topic, two jobs in my life come to mind. Um, the first, I, I was really young. This was like my first big girl job after, you know, a couple of year, a year at nursing school or whatever it was, I did like in-home care for the elderly. And then I very like quickly kind of rose through the ranks. And then I became sort of like an office manager some hours while I was also doing in-home care. And I remember coming into the office one day and I was sitting there talking to the boss and she had a, she had a phone call and I'm sitting across from her and I'm, you know, Oh yeah, take your call, whatever. And I'm watching her facial expression the entire time she's on the phone. And I, I, I believe this was a client and it was, you know, making faces and just how inconvenient it was. And as soon as she hung up the phone and I, at 19 years old, I was not this girl. I don't know where I got the cojones to even say this to her, <laughs> but I looked at her and I was like, do you behave that way when you talk on the phone to me? Needless to say, I didn't have that job. 24 hours later, oh, no. but that's okay. You know, and then a bajillion years later, um, I happened to work on a campaign and become friends with someone who later on um, recruited me to come work at their like actual real civilian corporate job. And that was by far the best cultural experience in a job I've ever had. And as I said before, like I'm, I'm a huge words of affirmation girl. That is my love language hands down. Um, and everyone there. Okay. So to be clear, like anybody who knows Phil Ricky, um, he worked on Larry Sharp's campaign with me. That's where we met. Um, he is hands down the greatest boss mentor you anybody could ever ask for and it showed not just with him but there were people who he had hired you know in management positions 
that actually ended up being my boss or bosses, right? So he was like several levels above me. But everyone under him had that same mentality. It was a culture of appreciating the work someone did, right? And that's that's the split for me because in a corporate financial sense, like culture, I guess you would, a corporate culture sense, I can't go back to that job ever in the sense that like I was a number on a, in a spreadsheet. I, you know, that sort of stuff. That's how I ended up being kind of first on the list to go. Cause I was last on, you know, last hired kind of thing when they had to start cutting jobs. But the people who were on my team and they were, they weren't happy about it. Like we talked afterwards and they were like, we love you. And you know, and we're still great friends and we talk all the time and I love them dearly. Um, it's weird. There's a split. There's a personal, like personal one-on-one culture with the people you work with and maybe your direct bosses, but then there's the corporate culture where you're just a number and we have to do something about that. There's a big problem there. And I'll tell you, having pivoted now to this new job, I make better money. <laughs> yeah. Better. I have better benefits. I have it because I can provide it all for myself privately now. I guess I've never worked for anything corporate. It's always been mom and pop except for, yeah, everything's been like local mom and pop stuff. But I'll tell you, like if, if the, the leader, if it's like the shop foreman is like a complainer, that was the first job I ever had. He was a complainer. The entire shop complained. They were always complaining yes. about every single thing. You just complain, 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 complain. But then you go to a different shop where the, the foreman's nicer and just a little more down to earth. It just doesn't complain as much. You know, it's like no one complains as much. It's weird how much like power in like the hierarchy of, you know, being a shop foreman or being like the service manager or something like that. Just how much of that trickles down. So it, like whenever you're in any leadership position, just kind of be what you want other people to be and just be be nice. Like it doesn't cost I, yeah, anything. I totally agree. And you I've can, had... I've been really lucky, you know, aside from obviously that job early, early on to have some amazing leadership in my life, Larry Sharp, you know, and Phil Rickey and everybody that I worked with at that company. I also can Marissa drop and Lauren, who I adore and I'm name dropping because I want them to know I love them so much. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but they've had such an influence on my life. I don't, there's no other job that I still talk to anybody or care what's going on in their lives. None mm-hmm. whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. The, the lead, the idea that leadership sets the tone is absolutely factual. I mean, it's just people look, look to you, they're looking at you. And I think, you know, when a, when a regional manager comes in and rules by fear and people are scared of them, then everybody wants to emulate that. And then you've got a fearful workplace and this is just, that's not a mystery. It's, you know, people see that you're on top. Everybody naturally wants to move up. That should be a good thing, you know? And so they try to emulate, Oh, what did this person do? And we, the, the culture in a lot of these jobs just doesn't cut it anymore. It's just not something that people are willing to accept. Um, 
that should be no surprise because especially as as we get shut down with covid people learn to talk with to deal with their families instead of deal with their bosses and you don't you know you deal nicely with your family generally and bosses don't generally deal nicely with their employees despite leadership books and tactics that tell them over you can read any tony rob robbins book or uh, um, I mean, I love Kent Taylor from Texas Roadhouse or whoever, whoever your person is affirming over and over that this is a this is a dying way to do things. The whole, you know, 1950s, I slap women on the butts and slap men on the cheeks and, you know, tell them to wise up and, you know, do do what I do and just get better results ha, 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 and all that bravado. You know, it, it's really not it's not helpful to anybody. People don't like it. Um, and they shouldn't, and they, they've stopped dealing with it now because you gave them a break. They got a little bit of money, which makes sense because you took away their place of employment. Um, their money now goes less far because you printed out money for them to go to those places of employment. Uh, I, I note that I, one of those things that I did have written down here in my notes is cities are kind of having some of the most difficulties with these issues because there's the biggest influx of money into those cities. So what happens to your rent prices? They go way, way up. And so when you want to go back to these same jobs, especially because they're tipped and the client, there's less clientele. I mean, I'll tell you, I did go back to Texas or um, not Texas. I did go back to Golden Corral very briefly. Um, it was maybe 50% of the business we had before. So that's 50% of my money. <laughs> that I that I had before. Um, mm -hmm. And it was about double the work because we had extra restrictions. We had all these extra things we had to do. Some of them are so over the top. If I even go down that path, I'll never stop. So I won't. But just know that- I'm actually that, very curious about this. You know, we had, um, I'll just give you a basic statistic and tell you it's true because this is something that I looked up. But when when restaurants get new regulations, non-tipped workers and, or uh, sorry, tipped workers end up getting about 60% of that work. Um, so, so when there is a new, Hey, we got to deal with this. We got to deal with that. This generally that, that seems to be kicked off to the servers, that that's something that they say, okay, well, we got it. We have to do this with the silverware now. Okay. Let's have the servers do it. Okay. We have to do this with the plates now. Okay. Let's have the servers do it. And it was just that it was certainly true in uh, golden corral and it was completely out of balance. Um, I do feel for them. I, I, I enjoyed my management. They were, mine wasn't one of the ones that had a toxic work environment, but the restrictions kind of got to me. And to be honest with you, since at that point, I already taken a job in my dream job. I, I write about video games for a living. It's way cool. I really love it. I love writing. I love video games. It's fantastic. I, I took that break and I assume like most servers was like, okay, well, here's the thing. As soon as you cut these benefits, I'm no longer going to, I'm, I guess what some, some states continue to them. Many states, I believe 24 states totally discontinued them entirely, yep. but servers, especially because here's the thing is that federal money where you got like that extra $600, $300 depends on your kids a week. That's gone. Right. So like, especially as a server, I was not reporting everything I was making. In fact, I was barely reporting anything I was making. I've talked about on other episodes. Um, I didn't like to log into work and eventually wouldn't because it's just paying uncle Sam $2 and 13 cents an hour. I would much rather be like, Hey employer, how about you keep all of that? Uncle Sam doesn't get any of it. 
I don't see it anyway. And I'll just take my tipped money and we'll call it a day. Handshake, handshake. I haven't worked for two years because of Golden Corral. Uh, officially haven't worked for two years anyway because of that kind of deal. And I'm not the only one that's like that. Everybody shorts it. Nobody reports what they fully make because nobody wants to pay more of their tip money towards Uncle Sam, especially when they're taking your whole paycheck to begin with. So, yep. of course, we lie about it. Uh, it is very obvious that we lie about it. And it's good that we lie about it because Uncle Sam doesn't deserve it. Uh, but the thing is, is the money that you get is based on what you actually report. So when I wasn't working officially and I wasn't making, you know, I, it's like, oh, yeah, I was making uh, sure I was making seven dollars an hour. Sure. Look, tip workers make a lot more than seven dollars an hour. If you're worth your weight, if you're worth your salt and a tipped in position, you're making a lot of money. Yes, there are servers who don't. And frankly, barring some maybe extreme circumstances, you're probably not good at serving. And that's okay. You don't have to be good at everything. But people that are good at serving make a ton of money. I mean, I would say even when I was managing, I managed for Buffalo Wild Wings and Texas Roadhouse and um, Chick-fil-A. And took Very a big pay cut from serving, didn't you? You take a huge pay cut from serving when you choose yeah. to. When you choose to manage, you take a big pay cut in order to in order to manage. So most servers make more than their bosses do, than their immediate bosses do. So it's very it's very possible to make more. In fact, it's likely that you make more, especially if you're a good server, you can make tons and tons more. Um, but that doesn't fix the culture part of it, you know. And I think for me, that's just the that's a general part of these. I see a lot of corporate places complaining. I do see some mom and pops places, of course, that are struggling. I mean, everybody had to take a loan during the pandemic, right? Every restaurant had to take a loan during the pan pandemic. I'll finish up with my monologue here before we turn it over to true discussion time. But um, Sorry. oh, you're fine. No, no, it's <laughs> it's all good. Um, so having run the books and on a national level, this is the case that most restaurants, in fact, no restaurant, chain restaurant anyway, made more than 10% in profits after paying everybody in a given year. Um, as of course we all know, most restaurants tend to go under in their first year. I mean, it, it, they generally, if I were to talk about all restaurants and average it out, restaurants are a losing profession because so many people try and strike out versus how many, you know, actually become established and, and, and make it in this world. So there's a, it, it's a tough business and let me explain why. Even the best restaurants are actually the one that report the lowest profit margins. When you look at McDonald's and Wendy's and Burger King, you're dealing with restaurants that are doing 1% to 2% in profits. A lot of them have menu items that cost more to make than they get paid for. They take losses on these because they bring people in. They want you to pay for that food and hopefully buy something that actually makes them more money. Um Things like free appetizers and 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 things like that. We uh, we had a steak at Texas Roadhouse. Uh, I think it was Wednesdays, Wild West Wednesdays. It was like eight ninety nine for an eleven ounce steak. We lost money with the eleven ounce steak. We had to hope that you got your potato loaded. We hope that you put mushrooms and onions on your steak. We hope that you got a soda or a beer or a margarita or something like that, because this is something that's a losing proposition. Restaurants that are competitive 
are very familiar with this because you aren't going to make a profit on all your items. Um, you're actually, most of the hours that you are open, you're not even making a profit. You actually work for those highlight hours. And during the off hours, the reason that you're open, this is true facts, you guys, uh, um, behind the scenes, a uh, little, little insight on this, a lot of your restaurants that are open 24 seven and a lot of retail places that are open 24 seven, like uh, Walmart, um, don't make a profit for 18 of the 24 hours that they are open. But the issue is, is that if you shop there at midnight, odds are good that you're gonna shop there during their highlight hours. So while it would make the most financial sense, one would think for them to stay open only during the busy hours, they, it's it's essentially just a form of advertising to stay open during those extra hours. Um, and that's true with all the restaurants and that's true with the retail. And so these places are not making a lot of money. Now, here's the problem. When you give all of those places, when you shut them down and you say, hey, listen, I know your operating costs are this a month. Now, yeah, you didn't have to order food every month, but it still costs, you know, for the property and staying open and your own personal wages and all your employees wages that you have to pay and say, Hey, it's okay. Cause we'll give you a loan. Well, <laughs> you have to pay back loans. <laughs> so all of these places that are still open have a loan for the entire duration in which they were closed down. Now, if you're making a one, two, three, 4% profit, and I mean, that's just if you're average, let's say you're lucky. And even if you make a 10% profit, if you have to pay back a loan, your prices are not going to stay the same. Your hours are not going to stay the same. That, that tactic I talked about where people stay open 24 hours just to appeal to a broader audience, you can't do that anymore. People have noticed their Walmarts aren't open 24 seven anymore. Your Taco Bell is closed at seven o'clock now because... Sorry, after the, after that hour, it doesn't make any sense to be open. Before then, it doesn't make any sense to be open. It only makes sense to be open during these certain hours. We used to do these things because we had that little extra money, that little extra profit. You don't have it anymore, and you're required to pay back a loan. There's no chance that it's going to work. So, so there's just there's a lot that goes into the employment shortage. Um, I do feel I, I feel like I do understand where a lot of these employers are coming from, but it is an industry that is late to cultural change. I have a lot of stories on that, but I have hogged up so much airtime. <laughs> Thank you for letting me go on that for a little bit. But uh, I don't know. What, what do you all think? Uh, cultural stuff, financial stuff. Does everything seem to sync up? Do you have different ideas? I think all that makes pretty good sense. I know when I was a car mechanic, like your oil changes that you get, we don't make any money off of that. We lose money off of that. Literally Every just time because they are an advertisement in and of themselves. For real. Do you, wait, do you remember the code? Were, wait, were you on ADP or Reynolds and Reynolds? What? I was what a car was mechanic. <laughs> what, what was like, my payroll? Did you were going to shop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a car mechanic. So yeah, um, okay. they literally just make money because they find problems with your car and then they upsell you. They'll be like, hey, you got a loose tie rod. You need a tie rod. And then we'll uh, sell you a, an alignment and oh, yeah, it was with some tires. Else. Uh, I think I know we even sold uh, tires at a discount uh, one time too, just to you know get more people in and whatnot too. So I mean, it, yeah, there's a yeah. lot of industries that you know they're not. That's why when people say, "Oh, well, I'm worth more and the, my employer should pay me more," it's like, well, where's that coming from? Because the, you know the margins are so small. Uh, I agree that the like employees should be able to negotiate and try to get themselves. Like, don't work for less than you're worth. You got to work for what you're worth. Know what right. you're worth. But uh, you can't just walk in and be like, ah, I'm worth this. It's like, well, you you might not be, you know. So. Right. No, I, 
that made me laugh because I'm if if you guys worked on a, like a computer system in your shop, um, in most places, if I remember correctly, the code for an oil change was LOF. Right? Oh yeah, lube oil lube filter. oil filter. Yeah. So in the computer system, that's what you put in. And what was really funny is you have codes for sales and codes for service. Mm -hmm. But LOF lived in both spaces because it really truly was like the gift card or the advertisement, like the promo. Oil changes are constantly a promo because they're always, oh, $19.99, you free oil changes for life and like all this crap. We lose yeah. a ton. So if we don't, to, it is to get you in the door. I'll be honest, like you can really go more than 3,000 miles without an oil change. It's okay. We just know uh, that's how often yeah. we need you to come in for, for us Depends to make Depends on the vehicle. The Some water. of those like, um, like Equinoxes like, and Acadias with the timing chains and everything. Well, yeah, you, you I'm can't do it with that. <laughs> right, yeah, like no, my car, totally I'm, my uh, my my in-laws made me a believer in not changing oil just because they they literally never change their oil. They just keep it full and they drive their cars for years and years like that. <laughs> I don't know how they do it, but but yeah. it is like that was always a thing. And so, like when we put one in the system, if it came up, suddenly our like storeroom had people in it like they were screwing off in the like in the break room all day until somebody came in for a freaking oil change because we weren't selling anything otherwise yeah. you just weren't you can't upsell when someone has a problem right like oh these unexpected breaks are 300 bucks here's another unexpected problem but like oh you're here to take care of something because you're on top of your maintenance well you know, if you really want to be yeah. extra safe, like this is going bad too. We should fix it now. Like it's a scam. All of it's a scam. <laughs> well, it's not all a scam. I mean, Sorry, we really do have I'm to giving fix away like all of Toyota's. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Like as a, I was a service manager and I went to like some of Toyota's corporate um, stuff up in Glen Burnie. Yeah. And yeah, no, like probably 40% of what goes down in, in, an auto shop, especially big name like dealership service departments, it's all a scam. Everybody well, you're goes. definitely paying for a name when you go to like um, a dealership, I guess. But uh, no, I mean, like, like I was a mechanic. Like, if your tie rod's loose, you really should fix it because it's gonna wear well, your yeah, tires out. Sure. Could could break and you could crash and like stuff. Uh, yeah, so I mean, it, it it's a legitimate thing to do, and I know. Like uh, mechanics get sometimes get a bad rap, like they're just screwing people over. But it's like, um, like if we screw someone over, like they go and they tell everyone in town, like we get screwed over if we do bad service. So it's half the time they didn't know though, because it was like, oh, you need it might be you know, different in like a bigger city, but or a filter, this and that, and they're like, oh, thanks, okay, bye. Yeah, well, I mean, this stuff's good. You need like an oil filter. <laughs> you need an well, air no, filter. I you know uh so but it, it the one like rain x if you're no not rain x but the xylo xy how there's this some product that you put on like cars and rvs that this one shop would do 
And uh, it was. I'd love to, to help you with the name, except I'm just now finding out like a tire rod is a piece of a car. Like I am so <laughs> yeah. in over. I'm Zion so in over my head Zion. right it now. Literally it ties with an, your shit together so it doesn't fall apart. It, cool. Yeah, it, it starts cool. with an X. That's all I know. But we just rub it on, and you could not tell where we put it on and where we didn't put it on. And it's supposed to do like magical things, like prevent dents and scratches and all this stuff. It was a complete scam. <laughs> Um, so that was one weird thing. Um, that was at a dealership. And then the other weird thing that is the nitrogen in your tires. The oh, air it's such is, bullshit. The <laughs> air is 80% nitrogen. Like if you put nitrogen <laughs> in the tires, you get it up to 90. Oh, it, but we put the green caps on your, your on your stems. To, you know. I, I like the, I like the shops that just say, yo, we'll give you, you know, when you buy tires from us, we'll put in nitrogen for free. Like I understand that. Cause it's just even if it's just mackle, it just makes people feel better, whatever. But when you like it's charge people bullshit. to put, put special air in their tires, it's like you are uh... literally charging them for the green caps that we put on the stem <laughs> so that we let all the other dealerships know, like, hey, these guys are suckers. I swear to God, that's what it is. This what this we one it. we knew it. Our, I was topping off the nitrogen in this one RV driver's uh car or RV, and he was just like, So. The air's 80% nitrogen. I'm like, yep. He's like, and you put it up to what? I'm like, yeah, like uh, 90%. He's like, does that does that really do anything? I was like, they use it in NASCAR, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and we just kind of like looked at each other like, we both know it's full of shit. Like, yeah. Right, but if you're, if you're producing the heat and, and you're running on slicks and you're producing that level of heat in your like commuter vehicle there's a problem yeah it, it doesn't you know? do anything i i don't even know why nascar does it except that they they do everything to perfection yeah. because one millionth of a second means something to them <laughs> but yeah no the whole thing like there's so much bullshit in cars and this is i don't even know how we got on this tangent but that's it's hysterical. Fun. Well, no, I mean, there's there's markets that are based on kind of scam markets. So uh, I write about video games, um, microtransaction games. There's a lot of games where the oh. part that took work is free. That that part they'll give to you, and then to make your skin go from green to red is twelve bucks. To make your bullets go from silver to black is five bucks. To make like just goofy. Like I target my kids who ask for my money. Yep. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) Oh, did you want the whole game? Because we've got this DLC here that we already made for the base game, but it's downloadable content. And if you want that, that costs about forty more dollars in addition to your. Love to know how much money we have spent in the entirety of our kids' lives on Mm -hmm. DLCs. It's it's embarrassing and. If I could get it all back, I might have this house paid off. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's certain games like that that do sink people's lives. I mean, you look at uh, class. So somebody was doing the math, and I think this is way back a long time ago. But when classic Clash of Clans was like the big thing. Yes, I remember. I, and somebody I, had I like a max out. And I had a knockdown drag out over how much he freaking spent on Clash of Clans. And I never spent a penny. I, I still loved it. 
Oh, yeah. See, it, and here's the thing. It's all ranked, right? So, like, you'll get up to that next tier and you're like, oh, okay, I just need $100 and then I'm good. No, then you're just against people that also spent $100 and you're going to be in some trouble. And then, like, <laughs> so they, they, somebody did, like, the breakdown on, like, somebody had, like, a maxed out base. And they were like, so this person, in order to do it in this amount of time, because you can earn it normally, but even if you were to max it out, this would take you, like, something like 50 years to do. And the person did it within one year in order to compound that progress. That person must have spent, and they did the math, and like $120,000 on this game. It's right? crazy. Like, some, and yeah. not only that, it's not just a money suck, like a crazy money suck, but it's a time suck. Like, I can't tell you. I remember multiple occasions where we had, like, traveled. We were at a an event, a dinner out with friends where he had to literally step away because he had a battle. I'm not even kidding. And it was like important shit. I, I, swear I have done if there had been a battle so when I had an emergency C-section, like he would not have been in the room. I swear to God. I I did it all as a kid when I didn't I've have anything to do anyway. So I was just yeah. how old are you? You must be really young. 29. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. No, we were adults when this was <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I, so I like I just log into my computer and just do it like every five minutes and like nah, da, 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 da. Yeah. But yeah, and, like and, if you spend money on it, isn't it just doesn't it just ruin it? Like I don't even understand that. Right. Like, then you're not earning it. I thought exactly. that was the whole thing of video yeah. games. Yeah, uh, that loot boxes, cosmetics, DLC, skin, expansions. Um, There's certain things like that. Boy, a uh, real famous one with uh, World of Warcraft was they had a lot of people complain about no new content as the as the uh, after an update, right? And they had like, it was something like their previous game, they had like 12 different areas and then they only added three new areas by the end of, you know, the, the expansion. And then the next one, they're like, don't worry, guys, we're going to have a lot. We're going to add a lot more areas. And sure enough, they did. They added seven more areas, but they only started it off with five. And so if you do the math, the first one had 18 total areas. The next one only ended with 12 total areas. But they acted like they did more work, even though they had it all done ahead of time. And it's just it is purely a matter of perception. Now. <laughs> I, I think it's funny that we're on this subject. Obviously, this is this is a bit of a, a, a tangent from the employment thing. But here's the thing: is if a lot of these markets aren't working the same, then employment changes, and a lot of these scam markets, especially, aren't working the same. Um, it, it hits a lot of these differently. You know, uh, you have to really now. Here's the thing: the concept behind um, a cosmetic or a DLC is not something I'm necessarily opposed to. The problem is, though, is if I'm going to give you five dollars for it, it needs to be worth five dollars. I'm gonna, if I'm going to give you forty dollars for it, it's got to be worth forty dollars. People no longer have that dispensable like, oh, I'll just pay for whatever the max thing in the game is. It'll be fine. You know, like it, it, it'll be fine. Everything's going to be okay. You know, because oh, all of a sudden that money is a little bit tighter. Money doesn't go as far these days. I, I don't have this money to to, <laughs> to to donate to all these extra things. Um, so yeah, so one thing ruin all the existing zones. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm I'm a former wower as well. Our buddy Elastic Giraffe, hi Elastic, by the way, says or like the Cataclysm expansion where they ruined all the existing zones. Yeah, yeah, the friggin' Deathwing man. Um, anyway, the uh, <laughs> I, I I get it. I've been there. Um, I, and I've been I, <laughs> literal divorces have happened 
overworld of Warcraft. And I'm not even kidding. My ex-sister-in-law is one of those divorces. Not even kidding. It literally is in there. Like, you know. I can see it. I mean, I'm probably I was probably a person worth divorcing when I played World of Warcraft. Thankfully, <laughs> I was very I was very young. I like to think you have more redeeming qualities. I had some that may have made up for it, but when you talk about leaving the C section to do a battle or something, yeah, that's that's probably me. I mean, he um, didn't. He didn't. I'm just right. saying, like, I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I would have. I'll make that definitive back in my heyday. I would have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so one of the things that I want to talk about before we uh, hopped off this subject entirely is the concept of the customer always being right, because there are a lot of people that are leaving these uh, businesses. And I think generally I've talked a little bit about the boss angle, but I can't necessarily leave out the average person angle. And here's the thing. It really does get to you. It, even if you have if you have one person a day scream at you and you serve 200 people that one person still hurts and yes you should think about the other 199 people that thanked you that loved it that everything went right but getting screamed at is a traumatic experience it's not fun it is not something that i like it is it, it's something that i just i, I wish we could avoid uh, i always I, I every time i want i have to go into like the cell phone store or something like there's always somebody getting screamed at. And I'm just like, man, I, I, I would need to make $50, $60 an hour to work here. Like it, minimum, you know, and even then I don't know if I could make it work. Like there's some <laughs> jobs I just, I just don't want to do because he gets screamed at so often. Um, one of my first, uh, one of my first jobs, even in, in like in the workplace at all was I worked at a teller in a bank. It was a very busy bank. And when somebody overdrafts their account, it's a, it's a traumatic process for them. And I understand when you see fees pop up and everything, but man, they take it out on you. And like, and we're not talking about like the, you know, a lot of people like they yelled at me when really they're just like, why did you do this? Or, you know, something like that. We're talking yelling at you, like Sorry, curse words, and, right? Like have to have a, have to have a security person there so that they can like haul them away because they're, they've become dangerous. Was it mostly boomers or? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. I'm not even going to lie to you. I have been that person. <laughs> I have. Same bank. I mean, $34 doesn't sound like a lot. And, you know, at this stage in my life, it's not. But when I was a single mom, that literally meant everything. Like, yeah. Well, and every time you spend it, whether it's $2 on something, $3 on something, they're all federally regulated now. Uh, so there's there's not even really any variety as far as overdrafting your account, but it's still bad. I mean, it's still I think they give you a certain amount for free. And then after that, it's like thirty two dollars or it hikes up. It starts at like twenty three dollars, goes all the way up to thirty eight dollars on overdraft fees. Anyway, it's like disgusting. these are these are very Tra traumatic experiences and nobody likes getting yelled at, especially your teller whose fault it is not. Um, yeah. And as a server, we have to take responsibility for a lot of stuff. That's not our faults. Like it's just, it's just part of the business. Like e even when something seems slow and even if it's like, yes, it's my job to give you drinks, but I just got a table of 30 and I'm getting their drink order at the same time. You sat me two tables of four, like, somebody is getting hosed on drinks right now. And I'm aware that's my job, but you put me in an impossible situation. Like I don't, I can't succeed in this position. I certainly had a job recently. Uh, it did not last very long, but 
the entire and this was a mom and pop store but they just did not care how bad service got like it just was like yeah we'll give you a 50 top a 10 top i remember when i put in my two weeks because i was like i just can't do it and they're like dude you're doing the best though you're doing better than everybody else like you're getting so much fewer complaints and i'm like i i don't operate on a lack of complaints i i I want people to like this i want people to like what's going on and so there there is a, a lot of negatives from customers that 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 servers have to deal with or that tipped workers have to deal with. And it is one expression that is dying and it does need to die. And I'm glad for it is that the customer is always right. The customer is very clearly not always right, but that is something that the restaurant industry has survived on for a very long time was this concept that your perception is the reality and we will cater to whatever whim that is. I, I want to share this story. I shared it on the Chris Bangle show. It's a crazy story, but this is true. We had somebody who was a pedophile come into our restaurant. And I don't have to assume because they said they wanted a the youngest looking girl that we had to serve them. Then they were like, I want somebody who's like 12, 13, 14. If you can, I want to ogle them like straight up. And, and, and that's what they said. And I was like, hey, I'm not going to do that because that's gross. All of our servers are of a working age. And and perhaps shame on me, but I think this is an important story to talk about, is I still gave them our youngest girl that we had on staff because they requested it. And that was important. And here's the thing. The customer wrote in, making a complaint. All these complaints went to our regional manager. They said, Oh, that the, and then they gave me this girl who looked like she's 21 when I clearly requested a girl that was 12 because that's the kind of girl that I'm into. And so now I'm going to this other restaurant down the street because they have girls that are like 12 and 13 and 14 that are way hotter than your girls. Okay, I got in trouble for not making this customer happy by my regional manager. Like, and not like trouble like suspended or anything, but regional manager came in was like, hey, what happened? Usually you're good at making people happy. Did you even try to offer this person a gift card to come back next time? Did you even offer to say, hey, here's when our youngest girls are on staff? Like you didn't do any of this stuff, right? And that was kind of, that's kind of the norm. And and I know that sounds crazy and people are like, no way, no way is it not that common. I guarantee you any restaurant that has any busyness at all has somebody who comes in and asks for a female server every time, every day has somebody that comes in and says, I don't want a male. I want a female. I want to ogle some girl. Uh, I want, um, I want a, so I will not be served. Here's, here's probably the most common one. I will not be served by a Mexican or a black person. So if your restaurant has more than 500 customers a day, I guarantee you have somebody who says this, like, it's just, it's, it's not really common, but it's common enough and, and I'm telling you, I have opened restaurants in Dallas and Colorado, and I've opened some in Seattle. I've opened two in Seattle, and I've been around. And I'm telling you that all of these places have that customer who comes in and says, I don't want a Mexican. I don't want a man. I don't, I want somebody, uh, usually the pedophile example was extreme, but I bring it up to talk about how far people will go to the customer is right. Like, that that truism for them needs to be their reality. Like for my regional manager, that was his reality was you make this person happy no matter what. And it's something that is just now kind of changing. And so the service industry is way behind on it. 
because we're used to the customer always being right. And just now these places are coming in. And I think it's a great thing. This is a fantastic thing, by the way, because what will happen is we'll get caught on camera appeasing one of these like racists or sexists or something like that. And then we'll get in trouble by the public versus the regional manager who we used to worry more about the regional manager, right? Or, or whoever is in charge. We'd be like, I don't want the customer to be unhappy. And, and that'll stem down. Nobody has to say it. Nobody has to say appease the racist. All they need to do is say, do your best to make every guest happy. Any complaints they have is your fault. And you will do anything for a pedophile. You do anything for a racist. You'll do anything for all of these people because you just, your job is to make the complaints go away. You want everybody to have a sunshiny, happy experience. And I am so glad that this is finally kind of getting into it, but it's still not far enough. Um, which is why I think a lot of people aren't coming back because you don't want to deal with a racist customer ever. You don't want to deal with a sexist customer ever. You don't want to deal with a pedophile ever. You want to be able to be like, oh, you want to, you know, you want to ogle a girl? How about instead of food, you go F yourself in the parking lot and drive your car out of here because you're taking up space from a customer who I actually want to be at my restaurant. Like that is, that is how we, that is what people want to see. Like this is yeah. what every other customer wants to see. This is just mm -hmm. kind of that dark underbelly. Anyhow, that's kind of my last thoughts on it, but people don't want to deal with that anymore. Um, I like how you just drop a bomb like at the end of the segment, like, <laughs> and that's it. Moving on, like, yeah, that's how I'm we go. Physically <laughs> disturbed. Like, I have never worked in the restaurant industry, and I so like, I am probably very naive about some of the things that you experience. Obviously, <laughs> yeah, me too. Like, I, I'll be honest with you, I am not surprised to hear that people ask for or not to be served by certain races, right? I hate by it. By Mexican, because they're all Mexicans. Oh, my God. I, I've been to Cracker Barrels. I've totally yeah. heard that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sure. Um, right. <laughs> damn, their French toast is good. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> but, like, the the pedophile one and that, like, I'm still trying to process that. And there's a part of me that's like, so what was the name of your manager who wanted you to like appease this guy? Because I have some words. Like I have yeah. some very strong words. I'm like, give me their home address. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, please don't dox anybody. Like I'm not saying, but it just, it is that disturbing to me. It is no wonder people don't want to go back to these jobs. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> don't I, I won't dox him but if anybody wants to send in a bad report about keith the regional manager of the rocky mountain buffalo wild wings that's fine with me i hated his guts and keith if you're listening i still hate your guts i am <laughs> i really you're hope you disgusting change. human being <laughs> yeah just a truly awful person one of those people that if like you read gets hit by a car you're just like yes like there is some justice in the world. I am really not a vindictive person. I would rather see a person change than like die. But right. he was just, he was, he was a huge part of the problem. Now I, I grant in this situation, there was other problems with Keith, but the situation that I used is I am sure that he also had a boss that, that saw nothing but good comment, bad comment. And so his job was to make bad comments go away Without really, like, he glanced over it, obviously, because he read that the person was a pedophile and was like, hmm, how do we appease a pedophile? Like, that—that <laughs> that is, like, 
that is the only thing going on in his head is how to make these go away. He was very robotic. I mean, a lot of these people, and I guess this is another subject. I, I guess that we don't need to get in a can of different can of worms at the end of the segment, but like he is a lot of restaurant upper management. So not, I mean, management gets bad. I mean, I, I showed time cards where I was sitting at, I've showed a time card online where I worked a hundred hours in a week before, but I mean, this is something where like, and B-dubs, I regularly was looking at about 60 to 70 hours a week. And it's just not a situation where you're doing anything healthy for yourself. So you kind of don't, you don't make healthy decisions. So I, in part of me, and it gets worse as you move up the chain. I love Kent Taylor, Texas Roadhouse. He had no life other than Texas Roadhouse. That was that was everything. And if you were a CEO for the company, it was an expectation. And, and it wasn't one of those, like, they don't really discriminate if you don't, but it's just not the lifestyle you live. Like, it's not right. a life for people that have families. Like, it was kind of like one of those that's like straight up. Like, if you attempt to, like, you will not have a hobby. This is your hobby and your job. And you sleep at your desk. And that's just kind of what you do. We actually had like a lawsuit because like three people in a single year, like fell asleep in the wheel and like died on the way home or something like some goofball, like man stuff with management, just because they were expected to work so many hours. But it was uh, like, it's just, and it gets worse as you go up the chain. So there are things like that where I'm sure like Keith was terrible. I don't know what was going on with his brain, but like is I'm sure there was something above that that was driving him insane that was just saying, and I think that this is kind of, Hey, we are a libertarian podcast after all. So let's talk about libertarianism. Um, Like this is kind of the problem with being a politician. It does take a lot of work. I've worked on a campaign before I've worked in a mainstream campaign because I used to not be cool and I was not a libertarian. Now I am cool. Um, But I worked on a real like, I know what a politician who is actually like elected, like a Republican office, I know what they do. It is a lot of work. You wouldn't yeah. do it unless you were a psychopath. And that's kind of the problem. It's like, like it is you kind of get, you elect psychopaths that are like, okay, like I've completely lost touch with reality, with family. I, I'm not grounded anymore. Like I it think both back to culture. Right. Like I can hear both of you in your voice. You hear the pedophile story and you are rightfully horrified. But I guarantee people who work in upper management jobs are like, "Mm, I know what he's going through. Like even if they would behave differently, they understand. A common sense person doesn't understand that. Right. Like so there's something that's been lost, I think, when you when you have that. So anyhow, that's a long way of saying employment practices need to change. I'm super (laughs) sick that it seems like we really kind of rabbit trailed tonight, but I I Yeah. I do feel like on a political level, we were talking about employment, but culturally, like there's a lot there, like there's a lot to unpack. And, and I know we really went off, but I'm, I'm glad we did. And I think all of that, you know, to kind of tie it up neatly in a little bow is that there is, and it, I think is becoming way more obvious, a split in the, the, culture of the big wig corporate office where we're all just numbers on a page versus a culture of leadership that we're trying to establish, right? Or, or really make acceptable and sort of the new norm. But the problem is those two are not communicating. And so what ends up happening is the those in leadership are the ones now who are like trying to smooth it over between 
you know, ivory tower corporate and the gophers. I think another thing that's happening too, and it's kind of a good thing about the internet is that people can go online and complain like about their jobs and their, their people are a lot more, um, they're a lot more likely to communicate their emotions. Whereas like the, the boomer generation is like, you have emotions, keep that shit down inside, you know, but like now it's like, just dropped my phone, but now it's like, you know, you're just like bursting all over the internet with all your feelings and all that stuff. And then there's a lot of negative about that. But the great thing is it's like, people are getting help now and you know, cultures with work. I mean, it's changing because of the internet. Like you can't just be a dick to your employees anymore and expect uh, them to not go on the internet and be like, okay, well, this person, you know, loves their job and is passionate about, they got like a great coach and great team. And, you know, why can't we be more like those people and stuff like that? So it's just, it's changing everyone's perspective. Uh, The other thing I wanted to bring up real quick is, did, did you guys see Hotep Jesus when he got his free coffee? Anyone see that video? Oh, it's super funny. Too. He he <laughs> he's just like, hey, kind watch of avoid this. Avoid Hotep Jesus. I I don't watch a lot of them, but anyway, he he's just like, uh, he just walks into his Starbucks and he's like, hey, I heard you all were racist. I'm here for my reparations. You're supposed to give me a free coffee, and so they like just like fall over themselves to give him a free coffee. Okay, <laughs> so, that's I mean, funny. It, it's pretty I, funny. And then he was like on the he was like on the news and stuff, and he's like, yeah. It's, I told everyone, like, as soon as they pretend to be a white liberal, like, they'd give me, like, they'd have me on the news and stuff. So, it was pretty funny, the whole thing. But Wow. I mean, I, I think that says a lot culturally. But, like. But like, now, I'm, now I'm realizing it's less to do with, like, you know, woke culture. And maybe it's just the restaurant industry listening to Hody. <laughs> I think a lot of woke culture probably came out of the restaurant restaurant industry. Yeah, I think. I mean, and if I, it depends what we mean by woke culture. I mean, unfortunately, I think people are like woke, awesome, woke, terrible. And there's kind of this nuanced ground between like woke equals I will do anything for any person of a minority status or, you know, something goofy like that versus, hey, you don't like your job. That matters to me. Tell me why you don't like your job. Like, yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> Go fight for something better. Yeah, you're you're still working that job and you don't like it. So what kind of service will I get from you who don't like your job who is working that job? I I want a world where everybody is working at a job they lo- they like. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah, I'm really glad we went off on that tangent. We may have to shorten things up for the peace of my mind segment, but you know what? That's okay. Mine's not going to be too long anyway. Um, I everybody, we're going to take a brief break and we're going to be back in just a moment. So hang tight and you will get a piece of my mind from everybody. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And welcome back to the show. Uh, So peace of my mind, I'm going to start, although you haven't heard me jabber on for long enough anyway, but uh, this is the last of it. Uh, I just got to get it all out of my system here. Um, so there's, there's a lot going on in the news this week. Some of it is major stuff that we'll end up be talking that we are going to end up talking about in, um, future episodes. 
I believe we've got a uh, the, tr- the the trans bill in Texas that we want to discuss, and uh, we've got uh, some some other some other big issues that we we've got planned, and so it's hard to not talk about those because that's what's going on in my mind. Um, I did want to talk about this kind of um, the cool little book. A lot of people have heard of the Stanford experiments um, called um, the Lucifer the Lucifer complex Lucifer. Something. I, I read a whole book and I forget the name. The Lucifer <laughs> Effect. Lucifer Effect. Philip Zimbardo, the guy who ran the uh, Stanford experiments. So uh, that's kind of like why people do bad things when they're in a group. And I find it's extremely relevant just now that we're on this subject. I was going to talk about something else, but I'm doing this on the fly just because it is so on the subject. We wonder why good people do bad things. Like how, how, how does that happen? How do you put, how do you put a good person and create an environment in which they do a bad thing? Cause we all want to believe that we're immune. And I strongly recommend this book because up until the point when I read it and I looked at these studies, I thought of myself as kind of a superior person that would never do these kind of bad things. I look at these bad things and just say, you must just have a lot of bad people. But I think much like the political process, I talked about how like you kind of have to be a psychopath in order to participate a little bit. And so therefore we tend to get a lot of psychopaths running the country. I think it's much more similar to that is that there are very few bad people and they're much more broken people that we think or much more good people in really awful situations than we think. I think there are a lot of people who do go into politics thinking that they're going to fix the world, that they're going to change it. And then they end up becoming part of the problem and they make these concessions and they make these sacrifices sacrifices. And they're just in the back of their head here for the greater good, for the greater good the whole time. They just think I, I'm doing, I'm going to do something great down the line. And then by the time they're done, they've added to the debt. Their cult, the culture is worse. The, you know, violence is worse. Everything just metrically is worse. And they're like, man, I really went in thinking I had the best of intentions. And by the end of it, it was just, how am I going to get that next paycheck? Like that, that's what it was. And, and the ends don't really, the means always justify the end. The end don't justify the means. It's something we want to believe. We want to say, yeah, we have to crack a few, crack a few eggs to make an omelet, but that's okay. Like it's worth it if we crack those eggs and make the omelet. The problem is, is when you make the entire culture about the egg cracking and not about the omelet making, you get people interested in cracking things that don't need to be cracked. Um, this is something, so he studied uh, Gitmo and Guantanamo Bay and th- some of the things they've done a lot of this was revealed by the Chelsea um, Chelsea Manning um, leak, the WikiLeaks stuff. Um, really disturbing stuff. Um, and we just kind of say, like, what happened? And he actually, uh, Philip Zimbardo, the guy who wrote this book, and you don't necessarily need to re- read the book to understand what I'm saying, but that what he did is he met with these people who just said, what is your background? What, there's just no similarities with anybody who continue, who perpetuated this system of, of just immense evil. I mean, we're talking forcing guys to masturbate because it's against their faith and breaking their legs. If they don't like whack, like one of those things that you just hear and you're just like, that sounds like the most psychotic monstrous like i can't even imagine like a movie like on it because it wouldn't be allowed in theaters and yet you're telling me my neighbor my neighbor's son who was a good kid who went on his paper routes who i've let raise my kids before was part of the problem like how did this happen and there's this it's not just a transformation it's getting into these systems and and the reason i wanted to bring this up while we talked about this because 
my regional manager's job was no complaints, no complaints, serve everybody, serve races, serve pedophiles, make sure everybody's happy, make sure, keep, make sure no complaints happen. That's the most important thing. And they don't get caught. And it's until they get caught. It's until that camera's there when they actually show us serving a racist and it goes viral that they're like, oh, maybe serving racists isn't so bad or like is really bad. Maybe this is something that we need to not do. Um, so here's the thing with the Lucifer effect is you get this environment and it's all about authority that somebody else looks official. So one, one of these experiments that they did was this, uh, you pressed a button and somebody else pretended to be electrocuted in the different room. And they, they, they just asked people on the street and they're like, Hey, will you press this button? We're going to ask them these questions. If they get it wrong, I want you to press it and it'll administer a shock. And I think they got something like 90% of the participants to do it until the person pretended to die and then continued to press the button to kill the person because a scientist was over their shoulder saying, please press the button please do it now. And they did express like, Oh, it sounds like he's hurt. And they got, and he's like, listen, I'm a scientist. You sign this piece of paper saying you participate, you press the button. And I'm just a cog in the machine. I'm just a cog in the machine. I'm not responsible for what I'm doing right now. And this is 90, this is 90% of the participants. It's, it's an overwhelming amount of people who didn't believe themselves capable of doing something monstrous, but they, they get this authority. They get this system. They they signed a paper that says that somebody else is responsible, so I'm not responsible for my own actions anymore. A lot of these folks in Gitmo and Guantanamo Bay, um, they just said, my job was to break people in and make sure that they were able, that they would be willing to talk during to whoever interrogated them. So my job, and I was not given restrictions. I, my job was I only know, knew trouble if they did not speak, what worked to make them speak, humiliating them, injuring them, uh, these things all worked. And so I didn't, so this created a culture. They weren't ever ordered to break any legs. They didn't order the men to masturbate. Like they, it's just something that simply ended up happening because this was the culture that was created and everybody wants to think they're above it. But it's really until we address that problem where to say, like, listen, your goal is no longer like your goal is no longer just to get the, to soften people up. Your goal is making sure these people don't come to harm. Look no further than police in this country. Is your goal to stop people from speeding or is your goal to stop rapes from happening? Is your goal to stop an actual crime from happening or is your goal to raise money? Well, what does the culture of the police department tell you? What happens if you don't give out any tickets for speeding while you're employed? You will no longer be employed for a very long time. So these are just the kind of things that end up developing. Never, authority is a myth. You never are able to give your authority to someone else. You might say that you did, but ultimately the conclusion of these studies was the only people that that like slim one to ten percent Vietnam is another good example. Like the people that actually were there was like four thousand soldiers that like raided a city and like killed women and children, and there was only like two soldiers who ended up reporting it. What did those two soldiers actually have in common? They, I think they they had like a helicopter and they tried to stop the whole thing. It was a it was a big story. I don't remember the names, and I'm botching the whole story entirely. But it, it's a great story. Uh, again, the Lucifer effect for those who are interested uh, gives you names and everything. But what do those people have in common? 
It's that they always recognize that they themselves were in control of their own actions. They weren't, yes, you may be responding, responding to a commander. Yes, you may recognize that there's a boss, but you are never, ever, ever able to mitigate your morality to somebody else. You always are in control of your own morality. And that's an important lesson, I think, to learn so that when somebody asks, when somebody, whether it's a restaurant job and somebody asks you to do a racist thing, or you're at a auto shop and somebody asks you to buy something that, or asks about something that you know is a sur sur superfluous, tack on, ticky tacky charge, it is your job to say, hey, listen, I wouldn't do it. Like, I just, I, if it were me, I wouldn't do it. But yeah, that's kind of, uh, that's all I got to say on that subject. I'm so bothered. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Get mad. <laughs> like, I, like, I'm, I'm physically disturbed at how easy that is. Like, it makes me cringy, like, physically uncomfortable. I guess, and, and I don't know if it's because of what I do as a job. Like, I'm put in a position to be able to say, I'm not going to do that. I will not tattoo a racist thing mm. on you. I will mm. not. Like, I don't care. If to you, the Confederate flag means something fine and you're going to, your money is not that important to me. Like, make, I'm bothered. I'm so bothered. And maybe it's because of the position I'm in. Like, I have a hard time comprehending. Um, Not going, whoa, guys, like, that's. This isn't cool. Like, maybe we should regroup, right? Like, and I know, like, statistically, and there's been a lot of studies on very similar topics. And I, I don't oh, I'm really just, oof. I'm having a moment about humanity right now. Carry on. <laughs> It, it's hard. I mean, I think I think being self-employed has a lot to do with it, with be, with being like, because I think you get to write a lot. Like, I, I get to write more honestly now than, yeah. you know, than when I, you know, when you're working as part of like a conglomerate to say like, hey, we have a joint goal and I'll go, our goal is to do this versus you're like, my goal is to make the best, most helpful video game guide that I can. Like, that's my goal right now. And I'm going to do that versus I'm a goal, like, for example, to get the most clicks or to get them, you know, you know, where, where, I mean, we're all familiar with the uh, misleading headlines, right? <laughs> the headline that says something, then you click on the article and you're like, oh, so that study didn't actually say what your headline said. You just wanted to click. Oh, okay. Right. Clickbait. Yeah. Yeah. Clickbait. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, your thoughts. Uh, and this, uh, I think will kind of lead into uh, part of my mind or whatever too. Um, it, it just kind of reminded me of like, um, like the, you know, like the Nazis, I guess, you know, like all the things they did and you kind of, you have to ask yourself, you know, what was it? Was it, it wasn't their race. It, you know, you can't just be like, well, those, those Germans are terrible. That's, that's why they did all those terrible things. I mean, that's just racism. So then you got to be like, okay, there's some sort of system in there that's making them do all of these things. And they're just, and like most of these Nazis weren't, terrible people they were just like you and me and they just like if we were in the early 40s and we were german the odds of us uh being a nazi were equal to everyone else in germany at that time but um, i mean doesn't that 
come down to like the Nuremberg trials? Like, didn't we decide like it was my job? Like, isn't an excuse for being an ass? <laughs> like, right. Yeah. No, it's not. An, it's not an excuse, but it's it's uh, somewhat. Uh... It's somewhat unavoidable. If you have a terrible system, you're going to have to look out for people follow incentives. And if you set up the incentives where you are like in a free society, you help. I scratch your back. You scratch my back. I help you out. You help me out. You know, exchange of goods. But if you set it up so that, uh, you know, like if I report you to the Gestapo, I get, you know, brownie points and I get to live. You know, that's like a whole different situation where I'm going to just become more and more evil unless i have some uh something like religious or something that holds me back or some really hardcore belief that just transcends my uh natural humanity and reason for living and uh that's that's pretty hard to do i think a lot of what we believe kind of conforms to what we want to believe you know like if we're uh battling you know like a thousand years ago if we're battling some people and you know it just turns out that god's on our side and not on their side and of course we're gonna win and wipe them out like that happens so i i think that's uh kind of the thing and then i was gonna sort of transition into like like palestine and what's going on in there with like israel and all of that and it's just it's kind of like i said it's it wasn't the race it was it was the system and we're seeing kind of a new terrible system in israel with what's going on with them and sort of what's going on with the palestines and how they're just uh basically imprisoning them in like the gaza strip and oppressing them kicking them out of their homes and all this stuff and it's um it's just uh it's, it's just sad and it again it's like you can't be like well they're they're jews they can't do anything wrong it's like they still can um, it's, it has nothing to do with your race. It has everything to do with the system that is set up. And right now, we're the, all the incentives are for the the Israeli state to just continue to conquer and continue to sort of drive out and uh, have their ethno state, I guess. So that it it yeah, it just all comes down to the system, and you got to really kind of pull your head out of the sand and realize that that we have to have a free society in order for people to flourish in order for the state not to and if you think about it too like um like say you're a dictator you're not free you can't just do whatever you want you make one wrong move you're dead you've got you know you're controlling all these guns they could easily just turn the other way and kill you and you know you find that with like kings of old and all those those tyrants like they never lived very long like napoleon bonaparte he had a good you know, decade of just awesomeness. And then of course he's dead, you know? So it's, it, yeah, it's all about them systems. Yeah. Uh, it's a, that's a great transition you made because that's an excellent point. What happens when we, when we keep giving Israel money, when they keep taking land? Yeah. What happens when we keep giving the Middle East guns, even when they're, or bombs, when they blow up children on buses or when they're committing genocide in Yemen, we don't say Go commit genocide in Yemen. But we're aware that it's happening and we don't act to stop it. And that's that's another huge part of this is just saying like I und like every like I'm saying, every restaurant manager knows that these racists I talk about come in every day and ask for a white person. We don't talk about it. Nobody tells me to serve them, but what they tell me is don't you dare get any complaints. Okay. So what happens? 
That's how a racist gets served. It's not a command. It's right. more just what's going to happen when you're not focused on that. So like when you, you know, when, when you don't focus on saying, Hey, listen, I really need you to stop starving people to death in Yemen and stopping them from trading and like killing them. Like if, until those words get spoken, it will just keep happening. Like until it's part of your plan, it's just going to keep happening. If you keep feeding Israel money as they keep taking land and taking land and taking land, well, when you keep giving the money, that's going to keep happening. We talk about this with the police system here. Mm -hmm. Like when you see a cop and the worst that happens to them when they like shoot somebody like the wrong person's dog and they get a week of, of being at home paid and then they get to come back. It's like, OK, well, thanks for the vacation. But I've got the message loud and clear you don't care that I make these kind of mistakes. Like, you know, when you're on the board, uh, here's another one, a big story here from reason. If you molest somebody on the border, you don't go to jail. You get reassigned to a different position on the border. What's the message? The message is, I don't care that you're molesting children on the border. Okay. Like this is, these are these cultures. Nobody's standing, issuing a standing warning saying, go molest children on the border. But when it happens and this is the effect this kind of thing is going that's to keep going on. Them. Right. And I, that's why it becomes a culture. Yeah. I, I've heard this. I don't know if it's true. It's probably not true, but it's probably somewhat true. But it's like Hitler never killed any Jews. He let, he never commanded right. Jews to be killed. physical hands. Right. Ex not. Exactly. And I don't think, I don't, I don't know if this he is true. He killed himself, like I said. didn't he? <gasps> but oh. like he never, he never commanded Jews to be killed. People just took initiative that based on his, his insane rhetoric is what I've heard. But, you know, yeah, it's just that it goes back to right. leadership, too, I guess, too. It's just like, yeah, it's insanity. Like, you just, you know, open the doors to all sorts of terrible things. Yeah. I'm having, I'm having, like, a real moment. Like, I'm really, really, really disturbed. Like, and it's not that I don't know these things about humanity, right? Like, we all see them. We all know it's a thing. But, like, to hear a direct experience, you know, as Hody was talking about the pedophile and that he was the one who had the responsibility to keep the customer happy um, to, you know, like from that to Hitler, like he never said the words kill the Jews or maybe he did. I don't know. Like, but that was never like the headline, right? As a quote. But people did it for him because of his rhetoric. Um, not unlike a recent president, I won't mention, <laughs> whose rhetoric um, incited a lot of division, right? However, when the spotlight was turned to him, it was, oh, no, don't do that. Like... I don't know. I'm bothered by humanity right now. I'm having a moment. Okay. <laughs> you know, when we're talking about genocide and pedophiles, I think it's fair to have a moment to be angry at humanity. <laughs> like I'm really like I'm struggling yeah. like, to even have but words other than just fuck people, man. I'm so mad right now. But are are you disturbed oh, at other people? Or are you disturbed at uh, sort of your own humanity, like like what you're capable of? You're one of them, given in no, given circumstances. Like I, or do you, and maybe do you it's feel in that this at all? Moment, right? That all of these things are being laid out, and like 
I've always tried to consider myself a pretty moral person, right? Like, and I see all these things laid out and I'm like, oh God. And so even when you're like statistically like 90% of people are likely to do some really terrible shit if put in the right position. I'm like, I hate 90% of people. I would never be one of them. Do I really know? Like, is there a, you know, a saw scene type situation where it's like, hey, do this horrible thing to someone or we're going to rip your head apart into because of this cage. Like, well, yeah, have you ever okay, compromised like, on your morals because you were incentivized to like, can you think of a situation where it's like you screwed someone over because it benefited you and you know, maybe they would never know about it or something like that. What, what's that show outside called? Outside of context in which it was like, I was really young and stupid and it was like the popular kids like where ultimately it's kind of like it's terrible and and awful and people were very hurt but by comparison like I wasn't a guy hurting Jews onto a train you know right but you see how it's uh no I don't I do <laughs> not I cannot make that jump from being a, a total bitch to a girl in a locker room because the popular girls were kind of egging it on to that. I don't, I can't, I cannot make that jump. Yeah. Like you I don't definitely have a point where I'm going to turn around, look at someone and be like, yo, fuck off. Like, I'm sorry. I'm I normally don't get this vulgar, but I am, I'm bothered. I am uh, fucking bothered. It should bother you. Now here's the thing. I understand where you come from, Lou, and what Sam is trying to get you to say. I think one of the problems is, is we, do, we, while I do have left, right, and center libertarians represented on this mm -hmm. channel, and, and that's the whole point of this, mm -hmm. they are all libertarians. Right. And that right off the bat is going to mean we stopped being, like, libertarians put principles way above winning, way above yes. winning. And so, I like, this, this is something that it. all three of us probably don't relate to our common man on, because- mm -hmm. Maybe I think that's why we're libertarians. I totally agree. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. I'm so no, bad. it's all good. You're just reinforcing the point. But like 90% yeah, of fair. people are willing to say, listen, Trump, maybe you don't like him. Maybe you love him. Biden, maybe you don't like him. Maybe you love him. But I'm going to go with this because I'd rather be on a team that wins, that gets some of my stuff maybe done, or that acts cool on Twitter, or that acts in this certain way that like maybe I kind of like. I'm willing to sacrifice almost all of my principles because honestly, even Republicans and Democrats have like no principles in common with Biden or Trump. I'm just flat out honest. But they're willing to make that sacrifice because they say, listen, it's it's worth it. I think a lot of them go back to like the founding of the country. Was it okay to keep a bunch of people enslaved in order to still have a country? Like, is that okay to comfort, to sacrifice somebody else's freedom for your success or for a collective success? If it seems like it's for the greater good, we wouldn't have America without it. You know, these kinds of, these yeah. kinds of arguments. But I think it is hard because we all as libertarians have all kind of jumped off of the, that train. That, that train's set for us. We're not sacrificing anybody's liberty. Like, we, right. we're not okay with it. We won't sign any documents that do it. We might play the pragmatic card from time to time, but we're certainly not going to be okay with slavery, slavery under any condition. Most of us hate racism under any condition. I mean, there's just no, there's no point where we just Make say- 
like, yeah, like it's not going to make sense for people like us. And that is, I guess, a limitation to the show that I have is I bring libertarians on. So we're not going to have that view of, uh, we're not going to have somebody. Yeah. Like I have a physically (laughs) ill reaction to some of these behaviors that I could not imagine a process in which someone could possibly manipulate me from point A to point B. Well, like, you're talking like I, from birth yeah. too, I suppose. Uh, but I see what your point is. We're all three of us are pretty much rebels in the fact that like right. we, we took like the moral stance. We took like the principled stance and we we just like I don't have a whole bunch of libertarian friends that persuaded me to to be a libertarian like i just researched it and decided no i'm not going to compromise on anything i'm not going to i was raised a libertarian nice <laughs> but i mean really? even man lucky without wow. without the label but yes 100 uh, oh, yeah. i was like, a republican scumbag i like rep yes. the war and stuff yeah anyhow continue sam <laughs> but i mean even like talking bad about israel or something like that like there's something deep inside me that's like no don't do that don't do that but it's like no i you know it, i can't there's this this bigger voice where it's like I just got to do sort of what is right and what it you know be a libertarian. So I I understand that in that sense that like um, weirdly we, enough we're, I, we've I already actually dictates that more than my politics. Right. Honestly. Yeah. Well, you, sometimes you like need like sort of a higher power in order to transcend just doing exactly what you want for whatever profit and all of that. But what I'm saying is we're all rebels already. So it, it you could make the argument that in any circumstances, like we would come back to the same perspective. And, you know, like in Nazi Germany, there were people, you know, there's that famous picture of the one guy not doing the Heil Hitler. Mm-hmm. Like we could have been those people. We certainly are bold enough as we are currently. So Right. Because we're all outcasts and we're very spoken, outspoken about. So it's not all... and like my best friend in the entire world is... A Democrat. Oh, She's no. very lefty. We actually agree so on a lot of stuff, right? <laughs> but she still is like, well, I'm going to vote blue because left, Democrat, liberal, like, but we're, we do agree on almost everything. And I've literally seen and heard conversation or seen conversations rather between her or comments from people who are, you know, more in line with her mm-hmm. that label libertarians as this, that, and the other, or have these, yeah. you know, opinions about, oh, that's crazy, weird, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you say that, but A, half of half of the accusations you make about libertarians are not, like, if you have an opinion about a libertarian, like, why don't you ask me? Because I am one. Like, yeah. and we've known each other since forever and I have no secrets from you. You know me, you know, my character and my character and my political beliefs, my faith and like all those things. And I've said this before, there's nothing political about my political beliefs. It's, it's all grounded in my values that I was raised with and my morality and things like that. And then I hear these comments particularly from my lefty friends which is odd because i'm very lefty you know all libertarians are this that or the other and i'm like uh have we met you know and it 
it's crazy to me. I it's it's uh, astounding how many will be like you're all a bunch of rich, straight, old white men. That that's the thing. Rich, straight, old white men. And I'm just like, okay, have I'm you met barely our chair? one of those. <laughs> have you met our chair? Did you see our last presidential candidates? Did you like we have like that's verifiably untrue, but it's just it's the reputation that we have for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, like I'm literally barely one of those. Yeah, it's like, and, uh, and that would be white, and <laughs> and I say barely. Uh, I am white. I was raised in a white culture. Genetically, like there's, I don't consider the more Latin, and I don't mean Latin America, but like Latin Europe, Italian, yeah. Spain, like. Mm -hmm. Genetically, the KKK wouldn't welcome you with open arms, is what you're saying. Okay. Oh, they really gotcha. would. So almost 0 for 5. Pretty much 0 for 5. Okay. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know. That's, Sam, I appreciate you bringing up that point, because I, I, I do think it's a good one. Um, Lou, I know you're big on talking about culture as well. I just think it, it's hard because we only represent a certain percent, and I think libertarian culture is so huge, where it's like you've got to get people into these libertarian circles to kind of slowly, gradually understand what it's all about you know similar to how people are slowly and gradually molded into a bad culture it's similar to being part of a good culture you know it's being part of a positive culture yes we all have resistances when we first everybody has like a what was your last position to fall like when you're a libertarian right like what was their last status position to fall everybody can think of usually what that last couple of positions was but it didn't happen on day one of you becoming a libertarian it happens like two or three years five years six years ten years after becoming a libertarian and having the same conversations over and over again so you finally say i get it now now i understand well All don't right. they say it's six months from libertarian to anarchist that's what i am told uh oh it was my, like mine took a little longer but yeah mine did too to be fair mine yeah. really did yeah I, I think it was well. I mean, I voted for Trump in 2016, so I went from 2016 Ooh, to okay. I'm yeah, kidding. I know, I know, I know. All right, good night. <laughs> so it's <was> like <laughs> 2016. Like it's like a year later. I think I was pretty hardcore libertarian, and like I, I think I've only been an anarchist like uh, past nine months or something. So. Elastic Giraffe says something that I, I was so ready to move on to, from this subject, but I think that this is a great one that I love. And this is, I always try to outleft my leftist friends. Coming at them from the right gets nowhere. Coming at them from an even more radical perspective gets them to reflect a little bit. Yes. I love this concept. I totally agree. Care about the environment more than a leftist. Talk about how the government's ineptitude at it and talk about how the markets do better at it. Talk about uh, Take whatever your lefty friend cares about the most, and I guarantee as a libertarian, you either should or will care more about it than they do. Like your solutions are just more, it's, not yeah. only not only radical, but practical. I mean, they are, they are more feasible. They, are, they actually yield good results. And I think that this is something that libertarians oftentimes, we're resistant. We say like, no, no, global warming's, not real or no, no, like racism died in like the 1920s. I, I don't care about that anymore. Whereas if you take the opposite role and be like, no, no, I'm like wildly anti-racist. You should see what happens to racism in, in an open market. Just ask anybody that was alive during the fall of feudalism about what happened to the racists and people that didn't want to do business with other races. It wasn't pretty. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I just, I love that. Thank you, Elastic, for that comment. Lou, why don't you go ahead and give us a piece of your mind? You know, I had one thought in mind, 
but this kind of brought me back to something that uh, we kind of briefly rabbit trailed on. I think was it last week that I really kind of want to go back to is um, linguistics and evolution and how we communicate with each other. I think that is something that I come back to all the time. And it is 100% like as I took time to really study the mechanics of linguistics, I learned that, you know, a lot of our disagreements from left to right are less about the actual issues and more about how we define them. And we, and if you go back through history and you look at these very politically tense times, you will find an evolution of definitions of terms before and after those events. Um, proletariat, um, bourgeoisie, like that, those things and how they, um, uh, Marxism, socialism, communism, things like that. Like now we're capitalism, socialism again is, is evolving. The, all of these terms and it is so, it is so ingrained in us as human beings, I think, that we all want what's right. We may disagree on what's right, but half the time of what we disagree on is a definition. Um, and we see that now, and, and we, we've talked about this briefly before, the definition of capitalism is, I think, the biggest conflict or miscommunication causing conflict in our country today, right? We have this huge divide between, you know, conservatives and socialists because that it's, it used to be Republicans and Democrats, right? Now, like Republicans and Democrats are sort of this weird gray area. They're all kind of centrists, but you have your conservatives and you have your socialists like there's no in between for these people it's this divide has become bigger and louder um and the word capitalism seems to be the mountain upon which both stand for or against however they're on different fucking mountains <laughs> right? right yeah um and i think you know you can step back and kind of look at it regardless of what your position is that it's hairy, right? Capitalism to someone more right-leaning means a free market. Um, unfortunately, the capitalism we live in under America is not even remotely close to a free market. Eric Garner will tell you that. Um, that's not capitalism. Capitalism would not get you murdered by the government for not giving Caesar what is his. Right? Yeah. A little biblical reference for you there. <laughs> um, that's not cap. That's not a free market. But, you know, so we cannot say that we live under capitalism. If, if your definition of capitalism is a free market. Um, I believe, you know, and on from the left, 
they view being murdered for not paying taxes um capitalism right because that's what the right says we live under oh america is a capitalist country okay well if it's a capitalist country government goons are out killing men on the street trying to make a living because they didn't pay the government their share literally that's what's happening so capitalism must be cronyism which what we identify as cronyism they don't that word doesn't it's not a thing right that is capitalism to them and that is the biggest divide right now and when you go back and look at the history of linguistics and as as language has evolved right way back when people were grunting at each other and like scratching marks in caves right um one there weren't many words to describe many things you know kind of like colors so you have your primary colors and then it expands and becomes more specific and now we have things like mother of pearl <laughs> right like how freaking specific is that as a color it's not white it's mother of pearl um and and that happens in language as a whole as it evolves as cultures evolve as issues evolve and we as a society um you know, we start dropping the politeness of the 50s where we actually talk about the nitty gritty. Words have to be more specific. The definitions of those words have to narrow. And one of the ones I think that we can most closely relate to in our lifetime and really visualizing that evolution and that narrowing of a definition to be more specific in meaning is the term racism for a very very long time it was a generic term of not liking someone because of their race right it was just it was a very sort of um technical mechanical definition it was race and it was ism you have a hate or a fear of a race right now as things have continued and and these social and cultural issues become more in depth and we as a society feel we can talk about them more right it's not like oh that's rude we don't talk about politics and religion at the dinner table like we're having conversations and so we have to be very specific in what we are saying so the definitions of the words we use become narrower and more specific so in the context of america and the united states and all of the history leading up to today racism as it lives in our country has and like is and always has been in like it weighs more against people of color right you are racist against people of color because that is the system in which we live and you know 
if you go to South Africa, it's completely different. So the definition of racism in South Africa is different than it would be here. And rightfully so, because they currently live under a system that is almost, it, it obviously is very different. There aren't as many parallels. I'm being very generic here, but it is a little bit reversed, right? So in our context, in our country, where we are today, the word racism is very specifically aimed at the race in which the system was built against, right? And the idea that, you know, you hear a lot on the right, and I don't mean necessarily libertarian right, I mean Republican, conservative, whatever. They stick to the, like, oh, well, you know, you can be racist against me and I'm white. I mean, okay. Like, if you want to get real specific, we could be prejudiced against you, but the system of this country has not been built against you over the last 250 years. You know, it that's all it is. And we have the same issue with uh, the word socialism. Uh, all of these things, even conservative and liberal and Democrat and Republican, the meanings of all of these things are so drastically different than they were 30 years ago they're more specific and if instead of just being like nah it it was it's always been just listen the word isn't what matters there's a point and i think so many more people agree on a lot of the issues but they're arguing over definitions. Like, call it a friggin' dingle hopper. I don't care. You know, like, the, the main point, I think more people agree on than disagree on. People are arguing over definitions at this point. And that is a huge issue in our culture. But if you go back through history, this is a an issue that has existed time and time again. As language evolves, um, our social and political climates and culture evolves with it. Um, and you see this all the way back to biblical times and things written in the Bible um, that today are taken in one context, but if you actually study like non-religious but historical like scholarship behind it and and those things it's totally different we're just in one of those cycles again this is what humanity goes through over and over i know i'm kind of rambling but i that has been what's on my mind because this is something that continues to come up over and over um in almost every topic we talk about it is so important, even if you disagree on a definition of a word, ask the person you're arguing with what their definition of the word is. Yeah. Then use that to make your point. And if you can't, maybe it's time to reevaluate the definition you're using. 
Yeah, and I will say one thing too. Like, um, I mean, definitions are changing. Um, and some of that's just like humanity sort of evolving, changing, and growing. Um, you know, language is just continually becoming more and more beautiful, and you know, in a lot of different ways. But there, there's the other part of it too, where it's not just someone's changing the language; it's like our perception is changing. And some of that's good, and some of that's not good. Um, I know with uh, racism, and I don't know if you guys want to call it woke culture, what do you want to call it? But a lot of it is instead of saying, well, okay, we're racist, we need to stop with being racist, we need to start recognizing individual rights and all this stuff. It's like, let's reverse the hierarchy. It's like, so now, um, you know, the blacks maybe are, you know, and that's supposed to be the solution when it's, it's just not. Um, and so there's a lot of kind of that going on, you know, and it goes back to like the, you know, the Marxists, you know, let's have the proletariats be in charge instead of the bourgeoisie. And it's like, okay, that's not going to solve anything. Right. Um, at that point, so, just and I think the, 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 the knee jerk reaction to the right has more of a knee jerk reaction to that where they're like, no, no, no. Like you can't, you know, you can be racist against white people. I know it's not really an issue, but it's still you can recognize the idea of like, this is the solution. It's like, no, it's, it's not, we need to just recognize individual light rights and start treating people like, you know, humans. Um, so there, there is that portion to it. And then there is also the portion where, you know, we do need to recognize that, you know, a lot of uh, different demographics have been abused and we need to, you know, I, I like to think of it. Like if you have a piece of paper and you bend the piece of paper over, you can't just straighten the piece of paper and expect expect it to be straight. You know, you got to bend it back the other way. I think a lot of like uh, the left, they try to just bend it back to to no end, and a lot of people on the right don't believe in bending it back at all. So I think there's a little bit of um, a compromise in there where you just you know you got to recognize that we did some terrible things to the black people and well, really a lot of minorities like uh, I'm like Irish like. My, the Irish people were treated like really terrible too. I mean, I know we kind of glance over like the Indian population just because they were, they're not a big voting block, but you know, like we just, we did, and well, and women too. I oh, mean, but we gave them blankets. Yeah, we gave them a little piece of strip of land like uh, in Gaza or something. But uh, yeah, it's, yeah. So you, part of its language is evolving, part of its ideas are evolving, part of it's just the whole culture war and, so it's a whole thing i guess it is hard uh we we want to fix a problem but some people don't don't want to fix it or they want to fix it too much and it's like well there's there's like a quantitative thing that we're trying to do here that's like what's what's the right amount here and like there's something between like being like hey i want to help like black people catch up because i mean frankly there's still people who are alive who were around when like the usda was giving out agricultural land to white people and not black people like that. Like, these things are still like very much recent. You know, we don't, we, yeah. when you look at human history, these things are very recent. The founding of America is very recent. We already know that was super racist. So obviously like things aren't perfect now. There's still things that we have to do. That being said, I, I do agree with your point, Sam. I think there that, and, and I guess I would even add, I know you said it's not as big a deal, but I think that you are going to get no, 
Martin Luther King Jr. was brilliant at this because you're going to get no white people on your side as allies if you're constantly calling them white devil, if you're constantly talking about how they're genetically inferior, or if you stay silent when somebody who's on your side does the same thing. You look at um, kind of this happened a lot with like feminism. To bring up another example was like 98% of feminists are like women equality, like good, normal. Most feminists you meet are pretty normal. The, there's 2% that want to raise men in tubes and harvest their sperm and and men no longer get and to be on the planet. Right. And like, I mean, like people will quote, like when somebody quotes like Andrea Dworkin unironically, I'm just like, do you know what message that sends to like every other normal, rational person that like could be an ally to feminism? But you're just like, oh, Andrea Dworkin's so great. You're just like, oh, dude, like that's the girl who requires you to be a lesbian, even to be a feminist, right? Like gross, like stop it. Like that's so, stop, stop quoting gross people. And As like, a leftist, I have to say, I promise you, those loud ones that get the headlines, like they represent they, the majority. We cringe, we cringe too. It's always but, loud minority, like in any group, it is. But here's the issue: is is even so? Like you'll go to like a major news site. I just saw the other day. I forgot which one it was, but they still have a page, like like news, politics, weather. Andrea Dworkin quotes, like it's, it's on like their head bar and you're just like, Oh geez. Like this is still like very much a part of your personality. Like <laughs> I think it goes a long way. Like for me, I think when you call out somebody that's like on your side, you do a lot, you gain a lot of credibility for yourself. I think when you say like, li like if you were part of black lives matter and you were like, listen, if you were part of the be people breaking into buildings, stop it, stop it. You're awful. Like, you just like, and I think that that would have, because I think unfortunately what it is, is it's less about what they say and more about the silence, that there is a great deal of silence that happens when, when you, you know, during your side, because, and, and I understand it, it's defensive. I mean, libertarians get this too, when somebody tries to poke a hole in our theory, instead of saying, no, no, no libertarian has done anything wrong ever. They're always great and always fantastic. And we're all perfect. And libertarianism is awesome. And it's basically a utopia. Instead of being like, yeah, that libertarian sucked on that issue. Like what he said was a terrible thing. I generally, you can even say, I generally like that person, but this is a low light. Like this is a bad quote. And I don't I, agree with it. I this. think libertarians are actually fantastic at recognizing faults in other libertarians. Like that, we're, we're actually no, very, very good at that. <laughs> we're, we're, we're just like, well, I mean, we really like this guy, but uh, let's point out this glaringly, this, you know, this, this minor detail of this thing that got wrong. And like, let's just talk about that for Matt forever. Like, I think that, that's true. <laughs> I think it's more so with, when we talk with people outside of libertarian. That's circles. probably true. Yeah. Cause yes, inside libertarian circles. Oh my goodness. It is nothing but a, a gossip show. Like it is just, yeah. Like we're caught. You, you are right about that. I'll give you that. But um, I guess, so to bring, to bring that back around, like I, I wanted to say that, but also, oh man, uh, she said, um, oh, so when we talk about like fixing a lot of this language that we use, that this was it. So when we talk about semantics and like breaking down like what you mean, Larry Sharp had some good advice and he just said like, you know what? I've stopped talking about capitalism and socialism as words entirely. Yeah. I've just stopped. I'm just not, I'm not using them anymore. And the oh, funny no. thing is, is you'll find if you, now. if you talk about 
the best economic practices and refuse to word the, use the words capitalism, socialism, or you don't talk about taxation, theft, or in the Fed. You just, just use as generic a terms as you possibly can. You will be surprised, shockingly surprised, how many diehard socialists and, and capitalists are like, oh yeah, I'm all about this. So you're like, okay. So we both can be on the same page, but you're letting these words divide you. And ultimately we have to suck it up and we have to say like, okay, do I care more about winning this argument or do I care more about changing this person's mind? It's hard. I'll admit I get a pride issue because I absolutely love the study of economics. I, I am absolutely, I will even say this, I am in love with capitalism as a concept. I find it fantastic. I look at what the early detractors said about capitalism and it makes me love capitalism even more. Like I'm just like everything that like those people hated about it I love, I love this thing. But when people hear the word and they think about this corporatism, cronyism, broken, let's call it what it is. This is a Keynesian fascist society that our economics is set up in and that's what they associate with capitalism. Guys, when when Road to Serfdom was written, he wasn't using the USSR as an example. He was using Nazi Germany as an example. <laughs> like this is the example of so like socialism that he hated. Now he had some great points, but again, the like as Lou said, these things evolved. We no longer refer to what was going on in Nazi Germany as socialist. Um, we kind of have a different view of fascism. And so here's the thing: it's it's evolve or die. Darwinism. It's not survival of the fittest. It's the survival of the most adept to change. Those who change are the ones who survive. If you want to win, you have to be willing to change. I'm not asking you to compromise your principles, but you might have to sacrifice a word or two along the way. Uh, the the downside to that, however, um, I mean, I, you know, it's like give and flow. Like there's, there's situations where you would put use do it in one way in situations where you would do it another way. But the downside is I think we're losing a lot of like libertarian branding where we're not being distinct. We're not like separating ourselves from say the leftists or the rightists or like, so like the use of the word capitalism, like there's a, there's a, I, I would prefer to just say free markets. I just say free markets personally. I don't use the word capitalism. Even when someone says, well, it's, it's not capitalism, it's crony capitalism. It's like, yeah, but the capitalism part's still in there. It still makes capitalism sound bad. I don't like that. So I like using free markets, but at the same time, we really want to brand. You know, we don't want to just be like, oh, capitalism has a bad name. Now let's get rid of it necessarily because we want to keep branding what is libertarianism. Like we're capitalists. We believe in the free economy. We're free. I know what you're saying, but we like we need to be ridiculously bold and that was ron paul's whole thing right like he just he went up there and he said the most ridiculously bold things that were true and he didn't back down from any of them he got he super popular so bold, as a libertarian he'd be a libertarian like an actual like not a republican would you say <laughs> if he was so bold <laughs> I mean, if if your only problem with him is that he ran under the Republican ticket, I guess. Oh, I'm, no, that's he, not my only problem. That's strategy. That's kind of smart. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm, there's a big argument for like now that we got the Internet um, to run a libertarian party because we can just we can market ourselves now. We're not limited to just like the four channels that our parents could get. 
And so we can't just be boxed out like we used to be able to, where you would have to run as a Republican in order to get any acknowledgement. But like now you can, geez, you can get on Joe Rogan as a libertarian. Like that's more than, you know, like the most popular. <laughs> you don't like I Joe Rogan. I love how we're at the two hour like ending marker, but you just brought up something that I know is a hot topic. Like, go ahead, I, Lou. I mean, I it's fine. Do it. <laughs> okay. I don't even know where to start. You Do you not like libertarian let, let me tell you. Okay, prior to Larry Sharp, what libertarian candidate? Maybe was Gary on there? He might have been, but he was a presidential candidate, excluding yeah. Gary Johnson. I can't remember if he was ever on there or not. Prior to Larry Sharp, who do you remember being on Joe Rogan as a candidate? Uh, no one. Like We haven't had, I mean, I, I guess I don't know what your point is. I, we can be on Joe Rogan. That that was my point. Yeah, like, you know who? Like Ron Paul could have been on I Joe Rogan. I was Larry's communications director, and I mm -hmm. was responsible for all of his interviews and things like that. And um, I have been jumping up and down and screaming at the LP for what year? It was 2021 now. I go back. Johnson, Peterson. Like, I don't know. It's several years now. I have been screaming at the top of my lungs. And I'm tired. Because the powers that be will not fucking listen if they're playing politics the party the political arm of the movement okay right like there is a separation between a liberty movement and the party okay. <sighs> cannot be helped i'm sorry i have retired and i don't like that's <laughs> literally the only reason i'm doing podcasts now is because i don't have to keep my mouth shut because i'm running communications for someone i have a lot of mm -hmm. fucking opinions about this shit and the LP is, they're never going to get on board. I'm sorry, they're not. As a, as a political organization, right? They're not. It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, I God bless Caitlin Cloven. Um, I, I look at her as sort of who I was when I was a baby libertarian and like, Hi, I don't mean that like politically watching. and philosophically, yeah. but like when I first came I in like all bright eyed and bushy tailed and I was just plowing through campaigns and knocking down barriers and building bridges and like doing all these crazy things and getting people on Fox News and giant podcasts. And nobody cared because it was a fucking popularity contest. And after that, and aside from Spike who Cohen, who was on Fox literally the entire lnc oh, i'm not yeah. even gonna get into it like that's a whole other shit show and i know this is a lot of insider baseball and we're over our two hour mark so i'm not gonna ramble too much more um but i have retired i'm done like the lp on an official political level i i i don't do campaigns anymore don't call me i'm done right <laughs> right that's why i talk on podcasts now because i kind of feel like i'm retired I can share my real opinions about the bullshit now, right? I didn't do it for all of those years. I was behind the curtains, right? I was people knew my name, but like they didn't see my face a whole lot, right? Um, so yeah, Caitlin Cloven and Spike Cohen at this point, like Spike has done it all himself, right? Like, 
he he just opens his mouth and people are like, come be on our show. <laughs> like yeah. he's amazing. He's Obviously, got, he's, like, amazing. he's on Kennedy every freaking day. Um, <laughs> and he like that's him. He earned that. Well, I mean, just think of libertarian podcasts how they've taken off. Like But have they outside of oh, libertarians? Yeah. With who? I mean, Dave Smith, he's super popular. The Tom Woods show is super popular. Who's not a libertarian? Honest to God. Who? Uh, I don't know anyone who knows. You know who I know? People know outside of the Libertarian Party and and had no idea he was even related to the Libertarian Party, but knew him and loved him? Vermin goddamn supreme. (laughs) Not even I'm in like a conservative Bible study group. We used to talk politics all the time. And then, you know, like one day, like they're sharing like, this guy made a whole lot of sense. He was on Joe Rogan. I'm like, that's my boy, Dave Smith. Like, Hey, there he is. You know, so he's never re- heard of him until the LP. Like, and I still don't know anybody outside the LP who knows him. It's, I mean, this, this is going to get down to like a little bit of a nitty gritty. Okay. If you look at the number of people that are watching these podcasts, that is growing. And if you're saying like, it's literally just always libertarian. Naturally okay. it's going to. I'm not yeah. saying it. All right. Well, it's, it's this huge opportunity. I mean, this huge audience that we can just continue to grow and reach to. I, I mean, we didn't have that before when it was just the four channels our parents watched. That was my point. Well, yes, I, I will give you that. Absolutely. You are correct. And I think that's extra true over the past year of a lot of people staying home and having a Trump or Biden election so, so something that's just true about our network when we uh, chris is doing more work than ever in analyzing like our demographics right now chris bangle love the guy hi chris thanks for doing all the work you do um we actually have a huge amount of non-libertarians that listen to this particular network and it's probably because it's called we're libertarians and it is a start it is very much a starting point podcast for a lot of people so like we kind of advertise ourselves as, as being like kind of the loose like oh i've i you know what is that libertarianism thing you're all about you look it up you see we are libertarians you're like oh but that's a we're a libertarian you know network or podcast or whatever and there you go right um i do think uh as far as like sayings go i agree with sam i think it's good like it would be nice if we had more like libertarian messaging i don't think i think people want to like say like stop saying taxation is theft i don't think it's that so much just like we need more than that like okay now something else right like we're one of my favorites. This is from the Brian Nichols show. Don't hurt people. Don't take people's stuff. Right. Uh, if you're a Patreon, you get this bumper sticker in the mail. It's great. Oh, nice. um, yeah. And, and I really that. like, yeah. Don't hurt people. Don't take people's stuff. Really great. And that's another great one, but we just need more of it. Right. Like, I mean, it feels like the left and the right come up with a new slogan every day. And I hate that's to like, even make this reference as like a super lefty. But we made fun of Austin Peterson for being the, like, bumper sticker guy, right? He spoke in bumper stickers. Freedom Ninjas. But people remembered a lot of things he said. Yeah. It's branding. Yes. <laughs> it's just, it's the way it is. And, like, like you, I think yeah. this is on point with your original point, Lou. You evolve or you die. I don't like having to boil down my entire philosophy to 140 characters on Twitter. I don't like having to put it. Do you think like all memes are so incredibly nuanced and encompass the whole, I mean, this is the whole, there's always the well actually crowd on a meme, right? Because like, yes, of course there's a well actually it's a meme. You you're not able to incorporate all these little itty bitty, like, what do you want to write? Are you, you're not reading the books that we write. Maybe you'll, 
watch our memes, I guess. Like maybe you'll listen to a podcast. It's just a matter memes of hitting people from elections. every angle. It's 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 hitting people from every angle. Hit them memes. with memes, hit them with the books. Like people that get angry about memes, I'm just like, well, if you're not reading the books, then I don't really care to hear from you because you that's, didn't listen to That's how to I became a libertarian was memes. Like that, okay. that was my that was my gateway drug, literally. Like I just <laughs> okay. I was like, I'm kind of libertarian in some sense. I don't really understand the difference between libertarians and conservatives. Like I had to Google it, but I just like searched libertarian pages and then I liked them. I'm like, oh, these guys make sense. And so it was like you know, and it was just rabbit trail to read in our articles and podcasts and all that stuff. So, but yeah, so like memes are cool. Yeah. Um, oh man, I wanted to finish up. Uh, da, da, da. Lou made a, a point that uh, I wanted to say something and I've forgotten it, but we're so far over. I don't want people to <laughs> put up with me rambling and trying to remember. So uh, <laughs> at this point, sure yeah, that was a brilliant point. Yes. Uh, <laughs> end with a hypothetical brilliant point. Whatever brilliant, whatever you're screaming as you listen to this podcast right now, just pretend that I'm saying that because I'm, I'm sure that was on the tip of my tongue. That was like the next, totally. the very next thing that I was going to say was whatever whatever it is that you're thinking of in your head listeners thank you so much for tuning in i appreciate you uh lou and sam appreciate you both coming in tonight i know it's a late one there it's it's tomorrow already for you folks on the east coast <laughs> but wow. uh yeah i have been working like 12 hours i don't know if I'm all right getting sleep. get to some eat some stuff get some sleep uh everybody thank you so much for listening just listening is the number one most helpful thing you can do uh, if you download podcasts, even if you just click on our YouTube, click on a podcast, it all helps. It raises money for the network, which makes there more that we can do. And we are growing. The show is growing. We have more and more listeners every single week. We're going up and up and up. And you're part of the reason we're successful. So love you all. Appreciate. Have sweet dreams. And I'll talk to you all later.